disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right, Congressman Thomas Massey is back on the podcast for today. Uh, we're going to talk about several things. One, COVID and the uh, sudden change in direction in mask guidelines, because now everybody's rushing to put mask mandates back in place. And uh, it's nuts out there, people. I was walking my dogs this morning, and there was a woman uh, who uh, uh, purposely went across the street to walk on the other side of the street from me wearing her mask outside. Saw a guy driving his car with the windows down with a mask on yesterday. And I'm like, dude, what, what what is going on where you're allowing fear to control your lives like this? Because the data that I've seen, and I'm not professing to be some sort of an expert on data, but the data that I've seen is that, there, that, first of all, there were about 42 studies that were linked on LifeSite News that uh, had been linked on the NIH and the CDC that showed that masks were ineffective previously. But apparently what I've seen about the Delta variant is that it's got such a high viral load that the mask is even less effective. So this isn't something that's actually going to help us. So, um, And yet here we are again going through mandates and restrictions and shaming and virtue signaling and all of that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about that with Massey. Also, uh, he has a lawsuit that he's filed against Nancy Pelosi, which is hilarious. And there's a reason why you should care about this lawsuit. Um, and we're going to talk about Section 230 and big tech censorship. Um, all of that stuff is uh, on tap for today. So let's get into it. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, for being here for us uh, with this podcast. It's been so much fun and I've got some really cool things that are about to come out, some changes we're going to make that are going to make this even better and more fun and bigger. And, uh, I think you're going to like it. And I got to tell you, Louisville cabinets and countertops has been a big part of making that possible. Um, you can check them out at Louisville cabinets and countertops.com. Uh, you can call their designers that they have on staff, Michelle Kelly and George. They're all waiting to hear from you at 502-930-3304. If you're thinking about redoing your kitchen, now is the time. You could get a home equity loan for like little to nothing in terms of interest rates and uh, plow that investment back into your home. Or you could uh, you could be a do-it-yourselfer who uh, doesn't necessarily need a, a full remodel. You've got the things down that you need and the measurements you need. And you just need to go get their in-stock in cabinets, which are fantastic, by the way, every kind you can imagine, uh, or if you're a contractor. But if you're looking for a turnkey kitchen remodel, let them do for you what they did for us on our kitchen and our master bathroom. And I'm confident that the work they did helped our house sell in less than a day, which was pretty awesome. And plus, we enjoyed it for several years before we had to sell the house. So it was all good. So check out their website, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com, or give them a call at 502-930-3304. And now our conversation with Congressman Thomas Massey. Welcome back, sir. Good to talk to you, Congressman Thomas Massey. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Um for as well as you can do here in the swamp. Yeah, right. Um, boy, there's a lot to talk about, too. Um, so I did a radio commentary this week in which I said, okay, so this new uh, mask uh, mandate fury that is out there. Um, I thought it was interesting because the CDC, I, I, I saw this um, headline from Bloomberg about four days ago, maybe five. And the headline said, CDC pressured to change mask, you know, advice right and i'm paraphrasing but it, the the word pressured was in there and i i put on there i was like if the, 
this is why nobody believes them, right? Because if the CDC is being pressured, who's the one pressuring them? Because I would have thought it would have been the scientist at the CDC who would have been coming out with new and changing advice based on the changing, evolving science. And the media would be parroting whatever they were saying. But it seems to be the reverse when we're talking about somebody from outside pressuring the CDC. Lo and behold, four days later, the CDC does exactly what that article in the Bloomberg asked them to do. And now I think people are scratching their heads going, who are we supposed to believe? Because now then yesterday, CNN comes out with an article and says, oh, no, no, we discovered the science on this just in the last couple of days. What? Mm -hmm. One of well, first of all, let's let's differentiate two things. Public health policy is different from science. Okay, In, in science, your your papers are peer reviewed. And there's still an honor code, even if people don't always follow it, there's an honor code that you don't mislead, you don't lie, you don't uh, obfuscate. And if you get caught doing it, it's supposed to be shameful, at least in the science community. In public health policy, when you have bureaucrats and politicians setting rules for people that ostensibly are supposed to lead to better health outcomes, the code of ethics there is that it's okay to lie to the public if you think the public is ignorant or if you think the lie would uh, result in a better health outcome for them. Mm-hmm. So there's already a culture of lying, misleading, and obfuscating at the CDC. Which, by the way, Fauci is not in the CDC, but that's exactly what he admitted to in the New York Times. I thought the people of the United States were too dumb, so I was going to move the goalposts. Yes, until the people of the United States got to where I wanted them to be based on the media pressure and peer pressure to have the polls say what I want them to say. And he basically admitted that. And he also admitted that about masks initially when he said they didn't work. He said, I just figured everybody would run out and buy those things and then our our healthcare workers wouldn't have them. So, yeah, I lied to you. So there's already not only an established code, like you say, but we actually have an on screen pattern from those supposed experts. So actually lying to us. Yeah, so what you have to do is you just decide if you want to be an automaton and a cog, you know, in the machine. Right. Put your brain in neutral. Uh, trust, put your trust in the government and just do whatever they say. Okay. If you believe that that's going to work out. Now, <laughs> if you if you trust the people. Now, if you uh, don't want to be an automaton, if you want to take your responsibility for your own health decisions, which, by the way, you're the only one liable for the decisions that you make with regard to vaccines. The, right. Big Pharma is, is not. <laughs> right. So Joe Biden lied when he said gun manufacturers can't be sued. Right. They can absolutely. If they build a defective product and yep. somebody gets killed because it's defective, they can absolutely be sued, just in the same way car manufacturers can. The industry that can't be sued is the vaccine industry. Right. I mean, there's a federal law that sets up a, a, a different fund and a different way of litigating these things. And by the way, you sue when you sue the, the vaccine fund, you are suing the secretary of HHS. In other words, you're suing your own people. You're suing, yeah. Because the money's going to come from taxpayers. Right, and and underneath that HHS umbrella is NIH and CDC. You've, okay, right. two organizations that we already noted are prone to obfuscating and misleading. 
Do you think they're going to create material that could be used in a lawsuit against their boss, right. the Secretary of Health and Human Service? <laughs> it's not that's, a, that's a really good point. By the way, so, we're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. Go ahead. So you, if you want to take responsibility for your own health decisions, what you need to do is you need to re- read peer-reviewed studies, and you need to uh, consult with your local family doctor, not some doctor on TV. Right. Remember, they always play doctors on TV. <laughs> Talk to a doctor who's going to be responsible for taking care of you, not the, within the first 30 minutes, for instance, of taking the vaccine, which I think is how long they have to observe you. Right. Talk to the doctor that's going to be taking care of you three years from now. Right. That's a good point. And don't, don't listen to me. Don't listen to a bureaucrat. Don't listen to one, any of these public health but policy this, experts. This science that supposedly emerged in the last four days that says that mm-hmm. people who have been vaccinated can carry higher loads of the virus than they thought. Is that real? I mean, I'm not. Uh, I, I, it a, sounds plausible, you know that, but it but it also means that the vaccine is kind of worthless in terms of changing our life pattern because if the all it does is keep you out of the hospital, which is great for the one percent of the less than one percent of people who actually get the virus, that's great. But does it doesn't? It it seems as though the science is telling us now, and since it's evolved. It sounds like they started giving us this vaccine and now, and they didn't know at the time everything that, that would come out of this vaccine. So now we're saying, oh, well, you've been vaccinated, but you can walk around and carry it and give it to other people. Um, and you might get it, too, and you might also die. Uh, meanwhile, the unvaccinated are the ones who are at fault for all of this. They're mass murderers. But you vaccinated people better mask up. Like, this is this is so confusing to the average person. Okay, so you said, is it real? Is the, is the stuff they're citing real? Yeah. I think there's three possibilities here for the 180-degree reversal of the CDC. Okay. Three possibilities. The first possibility is always a possibility with government. It's incompetency. You right. just don't sure. impute uh, very much intelligence into these things, into these decisions. It's a cluster. It's mm-hmm. a chaos. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's one-third chance it's just incompetency, and nobody can really make a decision or keep keep a decision made. There's a one-third chance that they just want to keep control, that you've got blue states like Massachusetts that, are, that went on vacation down to North Carolina and Florida and had a heart attack when they went into the buffet and there were 300 people <laughs> right. you know, serving themselves with Holy their hands. Holy cow, these people are having fun. We have to stop that. Right. We got to get this back in the bottle. Right, okay? <laughs> right. Which, by the way, I, did, I went on vacation July 4th and I went to a buffet with 300 people. <laughs> and they had of all walks of life, right? All walks, a very diverse group. This was in Myrtle Beach, and none of them had a mask on. And you could see the people from Massachusetts and New Jersey walk Freaking in out. and have a meltdown. Yeah, and yeah. then just they were they had indigestion; they couldn't even deal with it. Right. Most of them wouldn't go to a buffet anyway. But so there's that one third chance that people that. This is the pendulum swinging back to the blue states that are freaking out. Then there's another third of a chance that's the one that gives me the greatest concern, Leland. And it's the one I've been trying to research. The CDC is quoting data and studies that they haven't released. Okay. Think about it. Let's assume they're competent and let's assume they're not political, which are two real hard assumptions to make. Right. But let's assume they're competent and they're not political. 
they the reason they let you go without a mask if you had been vaccinated was to increase confidence in the vaccine and to, to get more people to take the vaccine. Which was dumb because they knew that um, they couldn't police it at that point, and so everybody was just going to go maskless and make, your, make you assume that they had vaccinated. Right. But at work, they can know this sort of thing, and there's been shaming sure. in the workplace. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, I, I know it's going on. I mean, constituents contact me. Uh, in the military, they've been doing it. They, yeah. they know your health records. If you've been vaccinated, you have all of these privileges. And, but if you've not been vaccinated, whoa, they really take yeah. it out on you, and they make you wear the mask. So they were trying to get rid of vaccine hesitancy. Because people are like, well, if I get vaccinated, I still have to wear the mask. Why would I get vaccinated? Okay. So they made a really big decision to come out and say, if you get vaccinated, and Joe Biden said it too, you don't have to wear a mask. Right. Okay. Think about what, they've, what they are doing now. They are causing more vaccine hesitancy yes. than anything else they have done before by saying, oh, my gosh, we got new data. And it doesn't work. Right. And you need to wear a mask even if you got the vaccine. Right. Okay. If you're the, if you're the guy at work that's the holdout that's been sitting there on the assembly line yeah, with his you're mask. Like, what, why? Why worry about it? Sitting alone at the lunchroom and everybody's staring at you without their mask because they've taken the vaccine. And now they all got to put their mask back on. You're like, ain't no way in hell right. I'm taking that because but what I it, saw them do the Lucy Charlie Brown thing with them. Right. Exactly. But, but what is the thing that scares you about this? Because oh, you were alluding to something here yes. that I want to hear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I talk about, by the way, I talk about probability. I don't talk about absolutes. Right, sure. I get it. And so yep. we have to d talk about all the possibilities here. Like when they, like in the beginning when they said 15 days to slow the spread, and I said, well, what about the possibility they're not talking about 15 days? Because mathematically... There's no way you're going to slow the spread in 15 days. You're just going to prolong it. In fact, this is going to be 150 days. Okay, that was a probability based on logic back then. So what I'm giving you is a probability based on some logic. Okay. Not a, not a likelihood, but a possibility. Okay. They've got some real – it's a possibility that they got some really bad information that said, oh, my gosh, we have got – to put, we've got to slam the brakes on and do everything we can. You know, I would prefer if you would say the the possibilities, but the <laughs> let me let me because somebody will take this clip out of context, right? But let me just say this: I'm a farmer. I've got cattle. I've got fruit trees. I'm I'm not an expert in pesticides herbicides insecticides antibiotics fungicides but i've been um i've had classes on all of them and i've used some of them on my farm and the first thing you learn about antibiotics and i think they probably teach you this in medical school is if you overuse them and they're not 100 percent effective this is why they tell you to take every pill in that course of z-pack mm -hmm. if you broadly apply antibiotics and it's not 100% effective, you're applying selective pressure. So, okay, so here's what you're getting at. You, you, the, to the bacteria, and you the get va The virus is mutating because the vaccine wasn't effective enough. Could be a possibility. Well, not only that. That's terrifying. The, not only that. Um, antibiotic-resistant bacteria do not 
evolve in untreated populations. They evolve in the treated population. Right. In my orchard, if I spray for insects and I only use one uh, insecticide that has one mode of action, let's say it attacks their digestive system, okay, eventually they evolve a resist and become resistant to it. And I know viruses aren't insects, okay? But so what I do is I spray with one that has one mode of action. Maybe it works under a digestive system and then alternate it with one that works on their nervous system. But and that's but way the, that the, way you the, don't. The end response up with, is going to be to this. The, the vaccine is not antibiotics. Right. They're, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, the, and they'll also say that the vaccine is a prophylactic, not a treatment. But look. Um, antibiotics, when they're used as prophylactics, have this defect. Right. You know, there's some farmers just feed all antibiotics all the time, you know, to right. s- some so, of their so livestock. Your, your theory is one third of the possibility could be that they have data behind the scenes that's telling them that the virus is mutating, possibly because the vaccine is not effective enough. Um, therefore, in the beginning, t- it gave us a false sense of security. And now all hell could be breaking loose behind the scenes because the virus could be going yummy, yummy. I'm even more powerful now. If you have a toddler and, and you know, I've had four kids, once it, after they learn to walk, it's just a matter of weeks before they can run faster than you. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, trying to catch them. We just, in a we just taught, we just taught a toddler virus to walk. Is a theory. I don't want to say it's definitive, and, but it's and a theory. It could start running at any point, or maybe they found some variants of the Delta variant, right? That can are, that are Olympic runners, right? Uh, within the vaccinated population. Let me ask you this though: I'm not seeing any data regarding whether the Delta variant is actually more deadly than the past ones. In fact. Um, you know, we're not seeing that surge. There is a surge in the hospitals, but by by surge, it's relative, right? Because half the people that are vaccinated, you know, they're not getting sick and going to the hospital, which is great. So is the Delta variant, based on what you've seen, more deadly in and of itself? Or is it just but more the, catchable? I've seen the same thing that you've seen, which is that if you just look at the top line numbers, it doesn't look any more deadly. In fact, it looks a little less deadly, but mm-hmm. here's the, here's what confounds that assumption from that data. A lot of the people who were vulnerable to COVID died quickly. I mean, this thing right. has rushed, right. show me a nursing home where COVID hasn't made it into the nursing home yet. It does. It almost doesn't exist. I'm not aware of any. So this thing, like a brush fire, it's gone through the population, the alpha, the verse, the, you know, the native variant, the Wuhan variant, whatever you want to call it, has already taken out a lot of the weak. Or here's the other thing that's happened. A lot of people have immunity from prior infection. And so right. uh, if Delta hits them, now maybe it's like a head cold. Whereas if Delta had hit them first, it may have been. Right. So it's hard to it's hard to take that from the data, and this is what I'm so upset about. It's like the CDC is not even trying to collect this data. You think about this, Leland. Everybody gives not everybody, but there's in every county there's somebody giving blood, right, voluntarily. And at the beginning of this pandemic, they went and looked at blood samples uh, from Red Cross to see when the virus got here. And they found out, wow, it either got here 
long before we thought, like December, January time period. It, you know, in De- it was here in December, or we there were antibodies that were uh, from prior COVID uh, types that were cross uh, reactive to SARS-CoV-2. Right. They were actually, you know, doing scientific studies using uh, blood samples, like nine thousand blood samples in December. They don't. If they are collecting that information, they haven't published it in a year. They need to be surveying those blood samples. You can do it in a way that doesn't violate anybody's health privacy. Right. Um, and they need to know what the serological testing, you know, what's the level of immunity that's in our populations. And, yes, that those participants are skewed toward people who are more healthy. Like if you're on your deathbed, you're not going to go down to Red Cross and give a pint of blood, okay? But even though the, the data set is skewed, you can make uh, assumptions and trends. You could say, oh, well, geographically, we see it's heating up here, or this is, or that we're almost to herd immunity in this ge- geographic region, uh, you know, um, or over time, we're seeing this trend in the blood samples. They should be doing that, and they're not. Or if they are, they're not sharing it with us. And that's why I'm talking about this third possibility, that they are collecting data that they aren't sharing, and they've seen something really bad in it that caused them to say, you know what, we're going to create vaccine hesitancy like nobody's business, but we have to do it because this is really bad news. And they're not sharing that bad news with us. So that's a one-third chance that's what's going on. Jeez. that's So now they want us to be hesitant to take the vaccine. <laughs> No, just the theory. Just the theory. Just, no, they don't. I'm not, I did not say that. They're right. not that no. messed up. Right. I'm saying they realize it would make us hesitant. They realize, yeah. But yeah. they did it anyway. They've made, if they're scientific, they've made a calculation that says fewer people will die because of the vaccine hesitancy we're imparting with this policy yeah. than if we didn't put in the policy and these other bad things happened, or maybe they're doing CYA and maybe yeah. they have, they've got data that's says, Oh my gosh, you guys have really majorly screwed up your react, your response to this pandemic. Well, that's going to be the case. When we look back in history, this is going to be the worst managed human crisis ever. It, it really is. It's in, in terms of, and I don't know whether it, I think there's parts of blame to go around uh, to our politicians who are power hungry and seized upon an opportunity. I think there's um, the blatant corruption of science is part to blame. And I think social media bears a big responsibility for this because it's impossible for people. There's so much information that it's impossible for people to get the right information. And, and this whole war over what can and cannot be said is really uh, getting kind of crazy, which, by the way, I don't know if you saw, but a couple of your colleagues in the House pre- presented legislation that would limit Section 230 protections for big tech. Um, not to change the subject, but I am curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, it, it essentially, when I read through it, like, I don't like this idea that we should just carte blanche cancel Section 230. Section 230 is theoretically what is supposed to encourage and protect free speech and the free exchange of ideas on social media. That being said, um, Section 230 is has become a hide behind, and I don't think what I think really needs to happen is that these companies should no longer have the protection of immunity from what other people say if they start to pick and choose what people can say. This legislation appears to kind of do that, where it says, hey, if you're going to make a censorship decision, one, there has to be an easy appeal process, an understandable appeal process, an explanation process for those that are censored, and two, you've got to uh, put those censorship 
uh, decisions before the FTC. Do you agree with this? Is this the right way to try to get free speech back in the social media sphere? Well, I was right. I was right there with you on this legislation until you said FTC. Right. That that raised my eyebrows as well. So anytime you create a government entity or use a government entity that already exists to arbitrate um, people's rights, they are going to lean left so hard it's not even funny. Ninety percent of the donations in Washington, D.C. went to Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump. Like the people who populate this isn't this isn't absolutely true, but it's a it's very strong correlation. They're liberal and they want control of your life and if you leave it up to some regulatory institution you're not going to get good outcomes so you know you could get rid you know i'm for section 230 reform mm-hmm. i'm all for it but and and i don't know why this is so hard um, there's already case law for things that aren't protected free speech in the town square Right. Okay. They were cited in the the case against Donald Trump when you remember he tried to block people on Twitter and yeah. he got sued. And I read that court decision and it's like, I think, 80 pages. I've read it twice. Right. And it and it talks about the, the town square and it says, look, you can be uh, um, blocked in the town square if for threats of violence, for profanity. Uh, and for defamation. Right. Okay. This is jurisprudence. This is case law. Why not just say those are the things that you can add it? And if you go beyond that. Right. That's that. That should be the rule. You go beyond that. Now you are taking responsibility for everything that's said. Because now you're censoring based like on what you newspapers. believe. Like the newspapers. Yeah. Right. Like the newspapers. We you know, there's not a there's the newspapers don't go to the FTC to get decisions. They deal with it in real time, and then it gets litigated in the courts in front of a judge or a jury. And that's probably the best way to do this. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I I'm a little concerned about anything that brings the government organization in, but I do. Let, let me give you an example of what we shouldn't do. We had I'm on the Judiciary Committee. Okay. Right. right. We the Democrats introduced six bills, antitrust bills. Six different bills dealing with antitrust to bake, break up big tech or to regulate big tech. But it, but I ended up voting against all six because at the end of the day, they wanted to create a, a new committee in D.C. populated with representatives of big tech that would come <laughs> up with the rules to regulate right. big tech. Right. And then some of the big techers who had better lobbyists got themselves written out of the big tech of regulation bill like microsoft got themselves written out they're the second <laughs> biggest tech company right. and i exposed this in the hearings is it because i got uh, i obtained a confidential microsoft document where they had the bill before i had the bill and they had a copy that wow. would have covered them and then the, wait the company got a copy yes. of the legislation before you as a yes. as a sitting representative could look at it yes and then but the copy that i got had microsoft written out of it <laughs> Wow. Wow. We're talking with Congressman Thomas Massey. Sorry, go ahead. So I'm just saying, like, don't don't make it too complicated. Don't yeah. set up new Agreed. committees or agencies and don't rely on the existing agencies. You're actually far better off taking your case in front of a jury. So let's set up the ground rules. One of the things we could do is there needs to be a, a, a better disclaimer when you when you log on 
that says, look, we're going to cheat, line steal, and we're going to take your data and right. we're going to sell it to <laughs> yeah. you know, advertisers and marketers, and we're listening to your phone, and we're going to run the ads we think you like. And it should say that every time you log on, yeah. but you still at the end of the day are Dude, not, my car stereo are, system warns me not to play with it every time I come on while I'm driving. It says, don't play with this while you're driving. The least they can do is put a message like that up before you get on social media. <laughs> that, that's right. So... <laughs> Um, and then there'll be a message blocker. There'll be an app where it's like logs you onto Facebook 15 seconds quicker by skipping the warning. Right. And, and, and you know, that should be legal, I guess. But um, that, you know, you can do that. You should say, I think you should retain uh, maybe not exclusive right, but you should t retain a right to all of the content that you put into that social media. Agreed. It should be obvious. It should say. Everything you type here, every family picture you put here, belongs we're going to belongs to you. We we retain a license to use it because you've put it in our platform. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, you can export it all back to yourself because you retain a license. Doesn't, so there's some things like that we could do. Doesn't this argument show how dysfunctional Washington is, though? Because on the one hand, the conservatives have been crying for you know stopping big tech from. Uh, limiting speech for months, but they've been kind of going about it in the wrong way by saying, hey, let's wholesale take out Section 230, uh, not realizing what Section 230 does. And then the Democrats come along and prior to that were defending, oh, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. Now, suddenly the Democrats are like, oh, private company, my big fat butt. We're going to tell you what can and can't be said about the COVID, right? I mean, so yeah. now we have this and it just shows how this how dysfunctional you have two sides fighting against the big tech companies and neither of them are right and neither of them are you know what i mean so there's no way that we can actually fix the problem well the, we got to try to fix the problem but you're right with the with the way it's going you know the uh, the liberals don't like big tech cuz big tech's bigger than big government right, right now right and they want big government to be bigger than big tech and conservatives don't like big tech because big tech is abusing us. It's an abusive yeah. relationship. The other reason liberals don't like big tech is this big grand experiment up until a few, few years ago when Facebook and Twitter started cracking down showed that in a marketplace of ideas, conservatives win. Yes. Just like on talk radio. Yep. Talk radio is dominated by conservatives because liberals are bad at it. Right. When you talk about their ideas, they fall apart, and you can't have an hour-long talk show about good liberal ideas because if you talk about them for more than 15 minutes, you're going to find out they don't work. Right. So we win in a marketplace of ideas, and that's why another reason liberals don't like the big tech is because without the censorship that big techs put on conservatives – we win. Yeah, that's a really good point. Really good point. All right, let's um, uh, let's talk about the lawsuit that you and a couple of your colleagues have filed against Nancy Pelosi uh, for fining you when you choose not to wear a mask. Which, by the way, I saw on Twitter yesterday that you had caught her not wearing a mask after <laughs> she's decided to bring the fines back. So, what's going on with that lawsuit? <laughs> Not after she decided to bring fans back. While she was telling us that she would find us without for not wearing a mask, she had no mask on. In clear violation of the House mask rule. That's so awesome. Which doesn't it doesn't grant her authority to take off her mask in the chair. Like if you read the rule. Okay, so back to our lawsuit. Okay, well, uh, a few months ago when the mask rule was in effect in the House, before the mask rule went away and before the mask rule came back. <laughs> There was the mask rule a couple months ago, 
And Pelosi said, we're going to have a mask rule until every single last person gets vaccinated. And that's when I said, no, she's trying to take this mask rule and turn it into a vaccine mandate, much like employers and schools and the military is doing across the country. We need to stand up and fight it right here, right now. And I uh, organized I don't want to say I led because you don't really lead something like this, but I organized for uh, nine or ten of us to go down to the floor in full view and sound of C-SPAN and walk (laughs) around without masks in in blatant defiance of her mask rule. And the sergeant-at-arms came up and warned us, and I got a letter the next day, which I promptly threw in the trash, and um, went back down to the floor, and the sergeant-at-arms says, you're going to get a fine this time. said, lay it on me. (laughs) <laughs> and so they find me, and a few others stuck with me on this, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Ralph Norman, uh, and and a few more. But those two are on the lawsuit with me against Pelosi. Here's where she screwed up. She uh, advised the chief administrative officer of the House to reduce our salaries in order to collect the fine. There's <laughs> okay. A, the 27th Amendment. That's constitutional, your salary, isn't it? Yes, well, there's two there's two references to our salary in the Constitution. And I'm sorry this is a technicality that we're suing her on, but it's a constitutional issue. And um, the fight for us is broader than this, but i got to tell you the specifics of the court case because that's how the, court, the judge is going to decide it. Okay. There's two references to congressional salary, in, in the, um, and then there's a reference to punishment of members in the Constitution. Right. The, the, the first reference says that our salaries are set by law. Okay, which means that they um, they have to be voted on by the House and the Senate and signed right. by the so president. So you can't adjust someone's salary because you decide to find them because they're doing something you don't want them to do, without Correct. passing a law that says such adjustment is going to be done for such behavior. And, and no such law was passed. Right. And then the Twenty Seventh Amendment says that no law can be passed to vary our salary without an intervening election. So there's uh, meaning meaning uh, you guys could pass a pay raise right now if you want to, but it wouldn't take effect until the next, after the midterms. Correct. And a lot of people think the 27th Amendment exists only to keep us from giving ourselves a pay raise, but it doesn't say we can't raise our salary. It says we can't vary our salary. Meaning you can't even give yourself a pay cut without an intervention. You can't give yourself a pay cut. So that seems open and shut. She's going to lose that case. You're going to win that. If we, we think it's an open and shut case. Okay. On those two a constitutional basis. Now we have we have two other prongs of our lawsuit. One is she, we're only allowed to be punished based on disorderly conduct. Well, we've got a whole we got all the footage. We didn't disrupt a single bill, a single debate. Right. We just walked around without masks. <laughs> we were not disorderly. We didn't disrupt. Right. They're going to okay. argue that that's disorderly because it caused fear and loathing in your Democrat colleagues. They'll yeah, like, who knows? like the lady and, I ran into on the hiking trail the other day. I need six feet of space, please. And, like, and well, by the stop way, stopping in the middle of the trail and I'll be able to get around <laughs> you with six feet of space. So our, our strongest claims are probably the 27th Amendment claim. Right. But isn't probably, she just going to change the way she finds you and then you're right back and, where you started? Well, she could see the great the thing that our lawyers love about this case the facts are not even disputable. Right. Let me ask you this, though. Why should the taxpayer care? Because, yes, thanks for asking. This is a proxy war. She is a tyrant. She is a hypocrite. And she is a role model for every governor, every school principal, every uh, a general. 
uh, every employer. There, if they look and say, if Nancy Pelosi can do it in the House to members of Congress, then we could sure as hell do this to regular people right. or soldiers or students, right? And working class American, you know, working Americans. So we're fighting it on the principle, not because five hundred dollars is going to, you know, ruin me. In fact, I, before I did this act of disobedience. I called my wife and asked if I could spend five hundred dollars <laughs> in case the court case doesn't work out. <laughs> and by the way, of the That's ten, funny. of the nine people, nine or ten people who went to the floor, f the first five were women. Right. And and I realized it's because they had the checkbook and they oh, yeah. were authorized to spend five hundred dollars. <laughs> that works so, in my house <laughs> for sure. Uh, Here's an interesting twist. I just got to tell you this. So I got a colleague. Um, by the way, we're. The, let me tell you the fourth prong, because and then I'll close out this lawsuit. The fourth prong of our lawsuit is this is compelled speech, which she's not allowed to do under the First Amendment. The mask is a symbol, just okay. like at the State of the right. Union when, oh, okay. when you remember a lot of the Democrats wore white. Yeah. By the way, we're talking with Congressman Massey. Go ahead. Or they wear a yep. ribbon at the State of the Union. Yep. This is this is a form of compelled speech, and there's a lot of case law on this that supports this. You can't compel speech. You can you can also not force us to not have speech. So right. us not wearing the mask was speech. Right. And the reason it's speech and it's not a a health issue is because the only place this fine was levied was on the floor of the house where the cameras were. As soon as you walk in the hallway, they do, they do, where the cameras are not, where the cameras are not allowed to go, um, there's no mask fine. Right. So it's it's about the optics of it. Once you establish it's about the optics of it, it's compelled, then uh, it's compelled First speech. Amendment yeah. speech, compelled yeah. speech. So that's that's the last problem. Um, there's a parallel lawsuit working its way through the courts filed by Louis Gohmert and Andrew Clyde, representatives who failed to stop for the magnetometer. So that you know, they put up uh, metal detectors, right? That we have to go through, right? Now we think our fight is more righteous because we're fighting this mask fight, this vaccine fight, which all Americans are fighting right now, and it's heating up as you go back to school. But they've got a good case too. Same Twenty Seventh Amendment. Their fines are five thousand dollars a piece, right. not five hundred. Right. And Andrew Clyde's racked up fifteen thousand dollars of fines. But, Pelosi, but that's also symbolism because Pelosi knows that nobody in the House of Representatives is going to come in with a gun and start a mass shooting in the middle right. of Congress. And it's not going to happen. And for the same thing, as soon as you go out in the hallway, there is no metal detector. Yeah, it's all about pinning January 6th on every yes. Republican. That's it's what that's about. All look us, make us look like radical, whatever. But Andrew Clyde did one of the most clever things I've ever seen in Congress. Nancy Pelosi reduces our salaries after taxes. He went down to the payroll office and he said, uh, increase my federal withholding to $11,284 a month. <laughs> I may have that number wrong, but what I do remember is it left him with a dollar and four cents paycheck every month. So she had to find him out of a dollar and four cents? <laughs> yeah. And the payroll, the lady at payroll goes, are you sure you want to do this, sir? It only leaves a dollar and four cents. And he says, yes, I'm, I'm okay with the dollar of pay. And she's like, well, I'm sorry, you won't get a dollar of pay. I have to apply that toward your fine. <laughs> and he says, well, okay. So it's like, it's like the year 3300 or 3200 A.D. before they will collect $15,000 from Andrew Clyde using the payroll system. That and, is hilarious. And um, 
by the way, the, the money will go to the IRS, which he will get back when he files his taxes. Right. And Nancy Pelosi can't get it. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those... Uh, you know, like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where they <laughs> turn the bureaucracy awesome. on itself. That's just awesome. I love it. I it's love like it. it's the most brilliant thing. And you know, Andrew Clyde has two. He's got two giant gun stores in Georgia, and he has to pay a lot of taxes anyway. Right. So he might as well have them taken out of his salary instead of taken out. You know, if he's uh, we get a big ass refund next store. April fifteenth. Right. Whereas. <laughs> Of course, I, you know, of course, my of course Biden's going to audit him. <laughs> the, the problem with his plan for me to implement it is you have to be committed. You right. have to say, I'm yeah. going to do this every year until I'm no longer in Congress. Yeah, yeah. And then oh, by the just... way, I, only, I, was, I was going to say the facts aren't in dispute, really. And so the, the, the lawyers like a case like this because we're arguing the law, not necessarily any facts. Yeah. But Pelosi could change the facts. She could say, you know what? I was just kidding. We're not taking it out of your salary. I'll send the bill to Kentucky. Right. Okay. If she sends the bill to Kentucky, I'll throw it in the trash. Right. Because now, how does she collect it? Right. She has to pass a law. They would have to pass it through the Senate and sign it by the president in order to institute some mechanism, some collection mechanism. So it doesn't exist. So good luck, Nancy Pelosi, getting your money from me. Yeah. The, there are measures to punish members of Congress. You know, there's there's uh, censure. You, you know, there are things that have existed almost since the beginning of the country where uh, reprimands and things like that, but they're not fines. And, the, and so this is a good case. It will um, it will actually make law. This is the sad thing. I have to go to court to make law. I've been in the legislative branch for nine years. Right. But the, the fact that I'm taking this to court and suing Nancy Pelosi, whether I win or lose. It'll make case law. It makes case law. Right. Yeah. And and that's and but I, I see why it's important, I think, for everybody listening. It's not just a congressional spat. It, it matters no. because of the, the theatricals that are going on here. So and we have to fight on every yep. field of, of, of battle that we can against this. And I'm not going to leave any stone unturned. And when I realized this was an opportunity to sue the woman that called me a dangerous nuisance on national TV, <laughs> not, not that I'm vindictive or bitter, uh, I thought, let's take this opportunity. Yeah, I'm with my you. Co my co-plaintiffs uh, are Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ralph Norman. Cool. Well, I know you got to run. Uh, this has been fun. Um, good stuff. Uh, hopefully, some good will come out of the fight. But uh, I know there's a lot of people, and I always hear from them when I have you on my podcast, that appreciate what you're doing in the trenches in Washington. And I hear that from people in other states as well. Uh, as the audience of the podcast grows beyond just Kentucky's borders, I'm hearing people go, man, that guy is something else, right? Uh, so we, it, your, your work and your efforts on behalf of freedom and liberty are appreciated, sir. Well, uh, take heart that the liberals are going to mine this podcast to find something oh, to use course. against me. And Well, I half the fun is the secondhand hate I get when you retweet the, the link. <laughs> exactly. So You're going to get loads of secondhand hate on yeah. this. Um, so I appreciate you getting the message out and be willing to take the secondhand hate that's <laughs> meant to be directed at me but ends up at you. Open fire, baby. All right, All my right. friend. Thanks. It's good talking to you. Thanks, Leland. All right. Well, he's always fun, and he always says stuff that just kind of blows my mind, uh, and I always have to brace for the secondhand hate when he retweets the link to this. <laughs> awesome. Hey, guys, you can, uh, you can totally download us for free on iHeartRadio. 
uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please do that and share it with your friends. I would really appreciate it. Big thanks to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Um, getting it done for us, we really appreciate them, and they can get it done for you in your kitchen. I don't talk about businesses that I don't fully believe in. And uh, I tell you, I've, I've known Tim for a long time. He's a friend of mine. We became friends, though, after he did our kitchen. I, 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 I didn't, I'm not telling you this because he's my friend and I want you to go do his business. I'm telling you I became friends with him because I, I found that I respected his work ethic and his craftsmanship. And they did such a good job on our kitchen that I'm confident it's the reason the house sold in less than a day when the time came to actually sell the house. But we had years of enjoyment. Uh, with the work that they had done in our kitchen and master bathroom before that time came about. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. So if you're thinking about redoing your kitchen, these are the guys to call. Michelle, Kelly, and George, they're on-staff designers, would love to help you get your dream kitchen in place. And it's easier than you think. And by the way, I love the Google reviews about the business. Uh, Kathy writes, worked with Tim and his team in the kitchen remodel, couldn't be happier. I'll use them again if I have another project. Uh, Angela, or excuse me, uh, Amy writes in, said Angela's vision for our new kitchen was spot on. The team at LCC showed up when they said they would. They were awesome, and I highly recommend them. And uh, one of my favorite Google reviews is from Steph, and she says, excellent product and fantastic service after the sale. Would definitely do business with this company again. SaaS is my favorite thing. I love service after the sale, taking care of your customers, and that is exactly what Louisville Cabinets and Countertops will do for you. Call 502-930-3304 or LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Thanks to Dynamics Production for their help with this program. Thanks to my good-for-nothing, lazy-never-here co-host and co-executive producer, Cameron Mills. Um, and thanks to you for listening to this podcast. Guys, I love you. We'll be out till the next one. I am Leland Conway, the Disruption Zone. <laughs>